Hello guys, welcome to the Thinkcast. It's been a long time we uh, didn't podcast, but we are back and today directly from Dortmund, uh, from Dot Process Conference, a cool conference that mixes art, design and philosophy, I think. There's a lot of philosophy around and games. And today I have a very special guest and of course I have always this karma of choosing complex names to say live and direct, but well, I'm going to try. So my guest today is Arzu Uyan. Right. All right. She is a project manager uh, at uh, 42DP, which she will talk a little bit more later. And yeah, let's welcome Arzu. Thank you for your invitation. Mm-hmm. Thanks Glad for joining us. <laughs> Great festival, by the way. It is like, it's really nice content and really nice location. So big congrats to the organization, to Florida and to Forest with three R's. So Arzu, what brings you to Process? Uh, process uh, so the Process brings me a little game which we have done. Um, it's called the Holoship and it's an experimental gaming console. And we, since the um, event today is also about playing and play, um, we are introducing it here as an alternative concept. All right. So what's 42DP and what you do? Uh, because for... it's still fuzzy to understand. <laughs> you do a lot of stuff. Yeah, mainly we focus on development. We are a digital agency and based in Cologne. We were founded in 2008 um, by Stefan and Omet, who are also developers, actually. And that's why we also do a, uh, focus mainly on development. Although we do also conceptual work, design work, but how we work is collaboratively. We focus really on the code part, um, but we know also that good design and good conceptual work is very important in order to have a good product. So everything comes together. And we you know, invite other colleagues, friends to work with us when we need conceptual work, for example, or design work, or we collaborate also oftentimes with bigger agencies, design agencies, which work with us and um, our main focus is into web development, mainly front-end and uh, also VR and uh, AR applications more and more the last two years. And sometimes if we are lucky, we do also um, interactive exhibits such as the Holoship. Which is is a really great project, but unfortunately I lost the game. (laughs) (laughs) You have to play it again. It's quite a hard one, but... Yeah, I think maybe you can talk a little bit more about about, about that project because it's a, quite an interesting showcase of on a on a more I'm not I don't want to say artistic, but it's not not such a business approach of no. the kind of work that you guys do in terms yeah. of like software and VR, for example, or yeah. AR in this case. Um, we were really lucky with this project because our customer, um, Eco, the uh, Internet Association. I think it's translated in English. I'm not sure how they're translated in English, sorry. Fair enough. Um, They are quite open um, with regard to this project because every year in January they do a kind of exhibit where they invite the public to their offices, to their headquarters in Cologne. And uh, then they want them to have some kind of, you know, discussion about technology since it's an association about the internet. Mm. uh, They want to have a creative room where they facilitate uh, this kind of discussion and exchange and they need something which is not a product. So we are quite free in 
our approach and uh, that's quite great because you think differently of course uh, about the project if it's not have to scale in the end or have to be a business application which has to be run forever properly and things like that so you can go much more experimental and um, that's actually how the project came alive since we were free and we have had the setting of an exhibit and also an event we had the task for, um, or eco asked us to provide some kind of installation which works as a kind of um, icebreaker to get the people in contact and uh, on top of that also to encourage them to discuss about upcoming technologies and what will change in our society and also in our businesses in the future and so that was the framework for the project and we were um, experimenting with prism projection at that time and we really love the effect and uh, although it's discovered almost 200 years ago it has still its fascination this holographic thing seeing it and yeah it, it looks very real so basically if we jump to, too soon but what i want the project is about like, it's like a table where yeah. you could you can be like a space version of a naval uh, naval battle uh, uh, battleships it's battleships, a pen and yeah. paper game it's, exactly uh, yeah and there is like a prismic reflection so you you can see your perspective in 3d inside of a prism but you cannot see the other ships and you are shooting and the graphics are really cool thank you yeah it's i had a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, i'm glad to hear that and that's also um not very surprising that was the intention actually yeah. that the people have fun with it but it was very surprising for us that you know the game became such a hit in in the I would say in, in the dimensions. <laughs> yeah. um, so we were asked uh, by a lot of uh, friends and colleagues if we can show the game at their events. And uh, yeah, that was quite a surprise for us and um, also cool outcome. And it's great to see if you, you know, don't even have a fixed perspective like this has to be a product and this has to be, you know, has to run for the next hundred years. And you have different um, um chain of thought um, when you're approaching it so we were much more relaxed and very surprised by the outcome how popular it became and uh, maybe about the game it uh, revives the classic pen and paper game for two battleships um, actually as a digital version and we choose that because we don't want to explain anybody how the game works and battleships everybody knows battleships yeah. from a three-year-old child to an 80 year old man and um, that's why we choose this game actually and since we didn't have that much time six weeks actually to finish wow. this project from you know from ideation to to delivery um we choose something very simple to to adapt and just thought about you know how can we make this more um yeah exciting and uh, interpret this with new technologies actually yeah what's the name again so people can because holo ship a... it's called and it has also a website um uh yeah can check it out there's a little video uh, for it and if you have a cool conference and you know want to entertain your audience just say hi so this was a commercial break yeah <laughs> we don't get any money for it so it's not really a commercial break um so like what the little bit of moral of a process question um working with no limitations okay you guys have a limitation of the deadline that you need to do and the budget and and the budget but like conceptually there was no limitations yeah which on one hand yes yeah, sometimes can be it's kind of our ultimate dream to we can create everything we want but is the reality that one that you feel like that or is 
easy to deal with so much freedom in terms of creativity? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, uh, in 2016, we were lucky because we were all agreeing oh, we want to use this Pepper's Ghost effect somehow. So it was, you know, easy decision. But this year we did a project with um, mixed reality. And that was even tougher because we wanted to try out so much stuff and there's not so much data about, you know, this new technology out there. And we wanted to explore a lot. And the problem is, of course, when you have such so much freedom that you have to um, frame it yourself. And that makes it even harder to get ready in time, in budget yeah. <laughs> and uh, have an output which, is, which makes you also uh, yourself happy. Well. And how, how do you constrain that, especially in a team that I imagine that it's free for everyone to, to ideate and to offer exactly. ideas and there's no limit at, at this point. How, how, how do those relationships work? Um, lots of discussion, <laughs> I have to admit. And in the end, we're, I mean, that's maybe where, um, yeah, lots of uh, developers and logical thinking is one thing and argumentation is the key. I mean, if you have a good argument, which no one can disprove and uh, you can fit this into the, you know, um, requirements of the project, then it will be at least accepted. And then, you know, you start writing down your ideas and discussing one by one and seeing what the arguments are and what the pluses and minuses are. So you start making lists and in the end also of course there's a little bit of gut feeling so what will work with the audience and whatnot so yeah but it's really really difficult it's even more i prefer as a project manager to have a proper frame so i can manage all these uh, things within it um for me it's uh, rather more difficult to have such freedom and then you know uh, convince my colleagues of the, 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 no don't not another idea we have to finish this somehow <laughs> you know and you don't know how many night shifts and stuff are related to that because everybody wants to put another idea on top which would be great but then i'm the person who needs to say sorry guys <laughs> we have to Keep it small, and if you if you, if you are you know finished in time with everything with the quality we want to have, um, because that means because it's experimental doesn't mean it shouldn't have the quality. So this is also okay. one aspect uh, which shouldn't be forgotten even if you explore. Um, but yeah, that's even more difficult if you don't have a frame and you know have to do it by yourself. I mean, when you look for example to architecture, the best architecture evolves because you have very f tough uh, requirements of uh, constraints, yeah. Co yeah, tough constraints because you have to then come up with different ideas if you're totally free then you get lost somehow at some part and then you need someone who's the bad guy or the bad girl and he says no we don't have time we have to you know focus no less less is more <laughs> less is more and you start uh, to repeat yourself but uh, since we are a really close team, which works since a couple of years together tightly, and we don't have much fluctuation, we know each other also very well. So this is also one thing which is an advantage for, example, uh, for us in such projects, because we can align very quickly yeah. because of that reason. No, no, it, it makes total sense. I am a little bit obsessed with the collaboration between designers and developers mm -hmm. at the moment. Uh, and we kind of identified like... the couple of top reasons why people don't get along but I would like to, to hear your because as a project manager you mm -hmm. get the perspective of how the team operates and who works better at what and who mixes the, mm -hmm. and what are the toughest relationships is between the designer and the developer the developer and the business guy or you and the rest of the team <laughs> um 
Uh, good question. I don't think it's a question, you know, uh, designers against uh, developers or project managers uh, against uh, devs or designers. It's more of a mindset thing. And if you don't have the same mindset, you will always crash with yeah. the other party. And I, I don't think that's a thing between the um, professions, but more uh, of how you approach a problem. So, and the second thing, which is always tough, is you know we discuss about things and think we mean the same, but we don't mean the same, yeah, and that's no. very often the problem. <laughs> and uh, not not because even like I said before, because we are different professions, but either the people think uh, they are talking about the same and don't, uh, or they have a different approach uh, to problem solving. So. True. And it's also the question like what what one value is not what the other one values and like when yeah. you make decision which one weights the most yeah and i think actually in my opinion designers and developers are very close together um there is say uh, you know different sides of the same metal because without the other one the job is not going to be finished so you need both and um, what I wanted to say, which is important for me, is, you know, most people think uh, developers are always, you know, very code-centric and, you know, just into numbers and algorithms and stuff. But in my opinion, a good developer is also a very visual person because he has to imagine and visualize what the designer or the conceptor is explaining. And in order to make a good product, you need someone who is able or capable to think in those terms. Yeah. True that, yeah. And if that's not happening, then you have, will have all these, these crashes. But I, again, it's not a thing of profession. I think it's a thing of mindset. Yeah, it's the, it's the individual you and also yeah. kind of overcoming the ego. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's also very important in every teamwork, you know, if you're a team person or not. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the, so the, uh, of these three points, for example, that we, or four points that we identify why the relationship do not work. The first, you cover two, two of them, was lingo and, 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 and the mindset. Uh, the first one is kind of, especially for designers, and I'm biting my tongue here mm -hmm. for the designers who are listening to this, but we tend to be a little bit of an asshole and we don't allow other people to, to, to criticize us. We, I had a personal story with a mm -hmm. particular developer that was always constantly changing my design decisions mm -hmm. uh, until I almost got to the point like, look, just code that mm -hmm. until funny enough, the customer prefer his options. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and in the end, it turned out to be like an excellent hybrid. But of course, I was this asshole like, no, that's my domain. Don't, mm -hmm. that's my turf. And yeah. Yeah, but that's normal because you know, in order to be a good conceptor or a good designer, you have to have a strong vision. And you know, uh, if you change your opinion with every critique that comes, it's getting difficult. So I also understand that way of thinking. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> designers can be really, really strict. But in my experience, but that's maybe because my colleagues are also such visual developers. They are capable, you know, to putting them into the place of the designer. And what always helps are hard facts. I yeah. mean, you know, if you start <laughs> discussing about, you know, I don't like this or this, you know, have this general kind of critique, which is not helpful at all, then it won't work. But if you have, you know, I don't know the German word or the English word, I'm sorry. Uh, but if you have, a, you know, an argument which you can prove, then no designer can say no. In my opinion, I didn't, yeah. uh, you know, experience that because whenever you come up with hard facts, then it's like, oh, oh, okay, I didn't thought about that. Whether it's a technical problem or a UX problem, but you have to have a clear argumentation, I guess. 
And this works in both sides. I mean, if the um, designer is convinced of something, which is maybe very tough to do technically, then he has to also argue his point why we have to do it right this way. Yeah. Why that? Why to invest all of that effort? Yeah. And yeah. The value that brings. The sure. transparency. It's everywhere the same. <clears throat> you know, if you understand why you're doing something, you come also more easily to accept a decision. Maybe even if you have, would have uh, made another decision. Yeah. Totally. You know the for, the fourth one, why the the fourth thing that they don't work with? Uh, no, no, I, I would guessing. Music taste. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Didn't discover that yet. Yeah. Well, that's because you, most of the time we spend our times with headphones. But yeah, <laughs> music taste is a big deal. Okay, I didn't know that they were, this would. Hmm, I should use this <laughs> project work so I can check out. You know, what's the the common route for music? Yeah, like a project Spotify playlist. <laughs> yeah, but then probably everyone will hate each other because like, no, this is not coming into the playlist. And there you cannot argue, you know, rationally. No, no, at all. <laughs> so there is like a funny story behind behind the, the name 42DP, right? Um, yeah, funny. I, I don't know. Interesting, maybe. Uh, it's um, related to Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide. And it's... I mean, 42, obviously, is the answer to life, to universe. And I don't know how the sentence ends, but uh, everything important in life and universe, basically. Yeah. And uh, DP stands for Don't Panic and is inscribed into the Hitchhiker's Guide. When we founded 42 DP, we thought this would be a quite good claim. You know, when you go to the customers who are usually non-techy or non-technical, like, you know, don't worry, we have the answers. We will help you to get over your problem. Yeah. So, that was the main approach to it. And it sticked kind of. Yeah. So you guys, so you you are both, uh, you are based in Cologne. Right? Yeah. And you work a lot with, uh, um, with with other local, other local entities and you are constantly kind of working out the ecosystem in Cologne. How does that go? I'm, I'm curious because, okay, I have the Berlin perspective and mm. probably a little bit of the Helsinki perspective, but totally blind on, on the on the cologne scene in that regard mm -hmm. and what was the question yeah i'm very bad at asking like <laughs> specific questions um like how, how is it the, the 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 ecosystem the tech ecosystem or the collaborative ecosystem in cologne as as from an agency perspective great I, that's my perspective i don't know what experiences others have made but Maybe it's also our small size. I mean, as I said, we are six people, mainly developers and me. <laughs> and um, for us, it's great because, you know, you need developers and there are not too many of them. And uh, since we don't have um, design people directly in our company, we are open to collaborate. And this gives us huge freedom on the project which we are doing because, you know, everybody has its um, own main um, specialization. Also from the design perspective, so sometimes we just need someone who does good, you know, visual design. Sometimes yeah. we need more focus on UX. Sometimes we need to focus on user research. So it's for us a huge benefit, and I think for the others, or especially for the small design studios too, because they, there is a shortage of good developers, especially the ones who are also willing to to push your designs through, like you have imagined it, and you know, helping you, and that's maybe our big plus why we can collaborate with so many people and um, usually the connections come from you know other friends other colleagues which we work with 
So we are not the you know really serious professional networkers who are at every event and exchanging business cards and yeah. stuff. Uh, our network came over the last you know since 2008. Um, we built up it slowly. You know we worked with one person and then it was like yeah cool you're nice people and uh, I'd love to work with you again and then re recommend you. And then somebody else comes and says hey I know him or her and yeah. they worked with you already. So. Maybe that makes uh, it easier for us to collaborate with other people um, because we don't have this you know, really proper business approach, like go there, yeah. make yourself known and exchange this and that. So there's already a trust between us and the collaboration partner usually when we start to work on the project. Yeah, it's kind of more organic. Yeah, it's, exactly. Which turns everything much more interesting and trustful there, for yeah. sure. And for the general scene in Cologne, I mean, it's very diverse. Um, we are a big media city. I cannot compare it to Berlin since I'm not too often there. Um, but it's quite open, quite diverse. And uh, yeah, many people who do interesting stuff, but I guess in a smaller scale than in Berlin. Okay, fair enough. Um, what's, what's your background? How did, how did you enter into tech? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I, I'm not sure um, myself either. Uh, you know, after school, I did an internship uh, more in the business administration part of a company, and I was like, I don't want to do that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got um, a bit more in touch with the the development uh, department of this company, and thought, oh, this would be interesting. But they uh, develop physical hardware product, yeah. nothing to do with software. And I realized, you know, my, my foundation wasn't that good in, in you know, um, natural sciences. And so I st decided to study something with engineering. So I um, studied engin um, engineering in my minor and my major marketing, but with the focus on more industrial goods. So because it interested me more than, you know, to, to make marketing for, I don't know, consumer goods, which are, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't see the sense in that. So, and I liked complicated processes and to understand them and uh, give them a sense and meaning was interesting for me. So I started with engineering and then um, I went to a medical company and worked there a couple of years as a product manager where I was responsible for the portfolio management, but also for the product development. And that's where, um, yeah, my real passion started because, you know, at the same time, um, Stefan Omet, which I know uh, from university, we studied together, lived together, and then they went back to Cologne, um, started 42DP. I was always comparing, you know, software development with the, the of course, um, physical product development, which is uh, two different, totally. th different mm -hmm. things. But uh, especially the medical industry is very slow because they have lots of regulations which you have to um, um, hold on to or fulfill. And uh, this annoyed me to no end. I worked there, I think, <laughs> three and a half years and I, it was, I developed one product. So I needed two years for, you know, for research, for development, but then I needed one and a half years more to introduce it to all the market because you have to recertify in each market and this is like hell. Yeah. And I was have the have had the comparison to software development and everything agile and fast. And I was like, whoa, I want to do that too. <laughs> I don't want to spend three and a half years more to get one more product into the market. 
So um, that was the, the attractive part for me. And since I knew the guys and they uh, needed someone who helps them with the product management, with the communication, it was a perfect fit. So then I quit my job and uh, moved to Cologne, which was also more interesting for me than the Black Forest. <laughs> <laughs> Back to civilization. <laughs> And that's how it came and uh, we did cool projects and um, yeah, but I guess you need to have, you know, organic interest in technology. I guess it's not that easy or possible at all if you're not by heart interested in what's going on, you know, yeah. even as a project manager, I don't have to do development. and. You know, in the beginning, they were telling me, you don't have to know about technology, you know, you have to know about business processes and sales and the management side. But that's quite boring if you always talk about something which you don't understand. So I don't think you can be really successful or good project or product manager or project owner um, if you don't know what you're talking about. True. And then we enter a little bit again to the to the discussion of, of the panel, uh, I think, an hour ago. Um, yeah. Uh, that a lot happens a lot in in projects that the person who is making the decisions or the project manager, for example, they don't have any kind of interest on the technology itself or what it can propose. It's more interest like I need to get this project out of the door, get my KPI to get my checkpoint with my mm. boss and move on. But that doesn't inspire a team. That doesn't no. give meaning to a team. Um, and yeah, that 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 feeling of connection and that pure interest on what kind of things you are developing is really important and really motivates the, your team around. Yeah, and I, I have to say something. I don't think it's the task of the project manager to make decisions in behalf of the team. Of course, I'm responsible for the iron triangle. I have to see that everything is time in time, that we you know don't overuse our budget and the goals are achieved. But it's the project manager is more kind of facilitator. Facilitator. Yeah, exactly, or moderator. Yeah. And not someone who should make the decisions in behalf of the team. That's why you have you know experts in your team who work on that problems. And I think it's a wrong approach when the project manager starts to make um, decisions about what's going on within the project. I have to manage the framework so that they can work with the resources which we have, but not. I don't see that as as my as my task. As, as taking the decisions and the exactly. choices. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I have to, you know, if, if there is discussion, I have to facilitate this discussion so that we come in the end out with a uh, with an approach or a goal or a decision. So, but it's not good if you are the project manager and making decisions for the team. Yeah, you need to be a little bit more democratic. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody has its job and my job is to moderate and facilitate the project work and theirs is to make the decisions with regard to the project. Yeah. You know, inhaltlich. I, I forgot the English word, sorry. Well, I also need to improve my German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you guys like, for example, the project that you work with, that you work for the game, for Holosh, Holoship is already touching a little bit the future, right? Holograms, uh, like it became tangible. Like, yeah, is for me for today was the first time. Like, mm, that's the first hologram that I actually believe in, you know, like and quite a big one. Yeah. So, um, what kind of technologies do you, do you want to explore more in the future, or which ones do you believe that they're actually gonna last? Oh, that's a very good question. We are in a kind of transitional time. Huh. Which project? Good question. 
I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm really right now very much into VR because we do lots of stuff in that area. But I'm not sure if it will be that thing. I mean, there are still so much things going on which are not decided yet. I mean, is it the right technology? Maybe there comes up something else which is better. But yeah, VR would be something which I would like to explore more because I'm really fascinated about how it changed, uh, changes storytelling. You know, True. from a from a very static and linear perspective to a more interactive and non-linear, and you have this already with games, which do you know um, uh, different kind of storytelling than than the linear approach. But the, this is going one step further in 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 a VR experience, for example. Yeah, and I think like we are still dis there are some quite interesting applications for VR. I think one of the most interesting ones that I watched recently was this VR set that they put on kids when they are making like small su surgeries, mm -hmm. so they don't need to to oh. to inject any kind of uh, sedative to the kid, and the the the. The way the kid feels pain is actually very similar if they are sedated just by having a VR site with a bunch of mm -hmm. dancing penguins. So not probably the most uh, direct use case, but mm -hmm. quite an interesting one. Which leads me to the question is kind of we reached a point in, in our human evolution in that sense that we have a lot of the a lot of technology, but we still don't know what to do with that. And yeah. I think that's I might be a little bit naive saying this, but it might be seems that it's kind of the first time that we are facing this problem as a whole. Is that like okay, we have a lot of technology, we are putting products out there, but nobody really needs them, understands needs them, them understands them, and we are still finding the, the the use cases. Yeah, but isn't that normal? I mean, you know, as you said, the technological. Um, Developments became, or the cycles became shorter and shorter, so it goes um, faster and faster. And uh, as a human, I think our biology isn't right now evolutionary fit to, to cope with the technological <laughs> advancements. Uh, I think, yeah, you're totally right. Um, we are putting lots of stuff into the world which we don't understand, but that was always that way. I mean, when you look at humankind's history, I mean, if you have had the potential um, to earn money with something, then the people definitely will do it, no matter if it's good or not. Yeah, that's the sad part. Man, maybe in my opinion, we should start more thinking about different um, societal approaches and also a different. Um, how should I say? The question is: Is the capitalism really the right market form? I mean, yeah, this is yeah, very yeah. Phys uh, philosophical questions, but yeah. yeah, we have to think about different approaches, not just from the technolo technological side, yeah. also from the societal and, and economical uh, sides. Yeah, I think that there are, there are like. And yeah. one more point, and um, you know, uh, we became socio-technical systems and organizations and governments and societies. And when you look at that, you know, people tend to discuss all the time about technology and not the societal as aspects. I mean, for example, if you have a new technology and introduce it into the company, how much time do they spend um, to analyze the technology and its fits? But when you look at the human side or the social side, how much time is in actually invested to make these technologies and processes which come with new technologies to fit the humans? And I think that's a big gap uh, in in most cases, unfortunately. We tend to over-focus on technology and um, forget the social or the human part. Or the impact, yeah. yeah. I think sometimes, like, 
a little bit of, of a side note and, and, and might be a clunky comparison, but for example, as, as designers, we are always using like the, the we always design like user centric, mm -hmm. you know, that this individual user and mm -hmm. this individual persona that you design for. And most of the time you forget that this person is probably like surrounded by other 50 persons in a different context that, and then your service starts to crack because we are focused just on this individual. When you start thinking about on a more, on a bigger picture, on a bigger picture it's kind of, oh, wait a minute, if I have like 20 people doing this, the same thing at the same time in the same space, this is going to be total madness. So yeah, uh, I get that. And I think, for example, from a, more, a higher level perspective, with all of these um, push in technology, yeah, we need to design more to the society, but I think there are governments need to play a big role on that. And governments mm -hmm. are pretty far away when it comes to data privacy, for example, or mm -hmm. security. Or they are very slow in their processes and also yeah. it's But hard sometimes to it's good to be slow because you know, imagine they were like you know, like agile companies. Yeah. And they <laughs> adapt to every trend. That would be also dangerous. Yeah, an, an agile government might be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, you know, I agree with you. It's very slow and their processes again are not made for this kind of fast change. Yeah. So um, maybe there must be also a change in governmental approaches. I mean, not maybe there must there be. There must be, yeah. Because I think like when you when you when you when you talk about like we need to, to think about to, on a society level. We can't expect that companies will do that because no. the, they, they are the not capitalism is, be, is behind. Let's yeah. put it a little bit like that. So who's doing that? So who can drive that approach to a more of a society a societal approach to, to to technology? Because if companies will not do that, and companies are the, the biggest touch points and, and the distributors, governments are too slow. Mm. Who, who, who can help do, do doing that? That sounds cheesy, maybe, but. I mean, we are individuals and we are not just designers, developers, project managers or whatever. We are the society. And so we have to also think about whom we give our money and who not. And people, you know, have to think about how they act more and really try to... I mean, it's difficult. I mean, when you look at that our society and the technological development, everything got so complicated. complicated. Yeah. We have so much knowledge that we cannot handle this knowledge already anymore. Um, but we have to also think about as individuals where we give our money to and which kind of corporations these are. I mean, the privacy debate, for example. I mean, every time when a new service comes up every and you are interested, I mean, how often did you ha really have read the terms of, uh, uh, terms of service or the privacy agreement? Not that often, and I'm yeah. interested in the subject. And yeah, me too. <laughs> and the problem is, then you have a 30-page <laughs> document which you won't understand because it's written in legal language, which uh, isn't supposed to be read by humans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then you have the problem, and then we should say, you know, in my opinion, you know, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to use this because you're forcing me. Don't give me another alternative, actually. So, and if you yell loud enough, and if, you know, uh, enough people come together, maybe our voice will be heard. So, we have to organize ourselves as individual individuals more. And um, I think that's how we could also, you know, push the government into a different direction. Right now, they are really strongly, you know, related to big corporations and lobbyists, uh, yeah. 
But the problem is, I think the, the individuals are not well enough um, organized to make their voices heard. Which brings me to two to, to questions, because are they not organized by lack of awareness? Because, for example, when it comes to data and privacy, um, no uh, laziness. Uh, it's, it's it's laziness, or is in my opinion, there is a lot of laziness, for sure. Uh, which, for example, like this this question that the ethic versus the comfort, for example, like people who are against Uber, but you know, it's, it's exactly it's two a.m. I really want to go to home, and you know, nobody is around. Uh, and Stick Uber to is... your principles, or like, oh God, I want to just go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, like, does for example, ethic implies that we sacrifice comfort yeah. or accessibility. Yeah, I, that's actually the logical um, result, or should be the logical result of it. But I think we are also learned to be lazy. I mean, from, you know, from, you know, as a child, you start with it, you go to school and you're indoctrinated to go the easy way, actually. And including myself, I don't know too many people who, you know, always stick to their rules or to their ethics and just say, no, fuck it, I don't do it. And it's also important uh, to say how important is that um, ethic or this kind of rule which you have set. I mean, depends also always on the context. Not everything has, you know, the same value in, in, in importance. Exactly. But I think like this is the, the awareness work that also needs yeah. to be done is like, for example, we, we tend to in our little tech bubble to to expect that everyone understands like that is that is security and that a privacy and uh, because this is come on, that's that's the basics, uh, um, hygienic behaviors you can mm-hmm. have regarding your, your data. But we we forget that ninety nine percent of the world is is just aware that there is internet and email and Facebook or mm-hmm. data. What's that about? So this kind of behavior change must be done through awareness. But we didn't find yet. Uh, and uh, motivation. Uh, yes, we sh- should play more. Also in in this case, or make it more playful. Maybe people would then behave differently. Yeah. And yeah. we have to think about also what kind of society we are. I mean, we are living in a rich society where our problems in comparison to other countries are minor. So I think we can deal with this better and um, more than, for example, people in a country who didn't have their basic needs met. So we have to also distinguish this. Not everybody has the luxury of of a moral or of ethics if you're hungry. You're or hungry. have to worry every day uh, about the next day, how you, your family will survive, how you get food into your belly or pay your rent or whatever, then there's less time to think about such things. Yeah, of course, definitely. No. But uh, you know what helps me? To talk to my parents, because they don't have an idea at all what I'm doing, <laughs> actually. Yeah, I have the same problem. <laughs> and it's really cool and brings me always down to earth when I'm like uh, trying to explain something like, uh, which is for me totally normal, because like we're like already like playing around with, since two and a half years with virtual reality, and I'm still like now like everybody should must know about virtual reality, and then I come home like what? <laughs> so huh? Is that a movie? Is this real? So they cannot even distinguish what we're what we're doing. You know, is it fake or is it real? Yeah, 
And I think, at least for me, I think I reached the point that, yes, I do have that also with my parents and with the older generations. But I also start missing out a lot of the younger generations when you try to catch up and how they totally. do, like, which kind of social networks they use or how the way they approach digital services is sometimes very alien. That's when you start to get to feeling old. But... <laughs> But it's so early that it's kind of, how can you keep up the pace of innovation? Actually, being a professional in tech, you will going to reach a point, I don't know, let's say 50s, that is it possible that you can't innovate when you don't understand anymore how society works? I think for innovation, you need both parties. You need people with experience and people who disrupt. I think it would be very one-sided to just to do something because it's new and younger people tend to do that. Yeah. And older people reflect more, and so I guess there's more balance in what's happening if you bring those two groups together. True. So, yeah. And, yeah, of course, the older we get, uh, the slower we get, but that's also how our brain works, kind of. I mean, we could have asked Dr. Lina. But we are entering the cyborg age, so <laughs> we might be lucky. Not yet. <laughs> Still a way to go, and I'm not sure if I want to, would want to be a cyborg. I mean, I love roboters and uh, all that comes with it, um, but no, I quite like that I'm human. Human. Because of security reasons, or because of just keeping our our nature in place? Um, no, I think you know when theoretically, <laughs> if it would be possible to become a kind of I don't know robot or a cyborg or. Uh, mixed living thing i mean why would we do that because we want to extend our lives and i don't think that life has a meaning if you can extend it without an end because meaning comes with there is an end yeah. and that gives things a value and i cannot imagine that you can enjoy anything at all if you know that you can live endless yeah so that what's the point in this all so right. That's why I would say, no, I wouldn't want that. I'm, I mean, I love to live, <laughs> but I understand also why there's death. So at least that's how I'm explaining it to me. Yeah. Yeah, it just comes to my mind, like, only lovers left alive from Jin Jarmusch. <laughs> like, two really boring vampires, like, I'm tired. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> I just want to die. <laughs> Well, I, I think we can end up in a very philosophical tone. <laughs> yeah, which, is, uh, which are almost the best kind of talks. That's true. So where can people follow your work and uh, 42DP work? Um, they can follow me on Twitter, but I have to ashamedly say I'm not such a huge social media person. So uh, yeah, well, if you like to, you can join me. So I, you don't have the risk that I will spam you. <laughs> That's the good part. <laughs> and of course, check out our website. Um, and yeah, the almost ongoing things for agencies, we are in the relaunch. So sorry that it looks so shitty right now. In a couple of weeks, it looks hopefully better. <laughs> and if you guys want to bring Oloship to any of your events, just talk to them. It's yeah. a really cool installation and really nice holograms for the ones who are into. And don't worry about budget, we are cheap. <laughs> we don't get any money for that at all. But it's fine because we can go out and exchange with other people and, you know, have a good time. Yeah, which in the end is all about that. Yeah, not just. But not <laughs> just, but part of it. Yeah, that's the advantage of, the, yeah, of our business that we are kind of free to explore um, what we want to do. Cool. Arzu, thank you very much for joining. It was a thank pleasure. Thank you very much, too.
to you guys. We catch up soon. And thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye-bye.